Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Barely Bookish Podcast. Today we are going to be talking about the Odyssey and if you follow me on social media you have probably seen that I'm hyping this one up a lot more than I hyped up the Iliad because honestly I think it's a lot easier of a read especially for people who are just kind of like getting into the novel well the type of like literature. I don't know. It's a lot easier to read than the Iliad. That's all I've got to say. So I think uh, Dr. Emily Wilson did a really great job translating this. So if you have not read her translation yet, please do because it's such an easy read, especially if you just haven't read this type of like classic before. I think it's like the language of it is a lot more simplistic where as a lot of translators try to keep it as close as possible to the original text, and I think this one just makes it a lot easier. But we'll hype it up even more in the episode. So if you haven't read this book yet, please keep in mind that there is a lot of spoilers, so please read the book first and then come back and listen to the episode. But I don't have a whole lot of big announcements up here in the intro, uh, besides the fact that on Friday we will have uh, the... Song of Achilles will be going on Patreon. So every single month we have an exclusive episode on Patreon and this month I will be talking about the Song of Achilles with Jen from Best Book Club Podcast. So if you want to check that out, please do and check out our Patreon because there is a lot of good content out there. But without further ado, let's get into the episode. and welcome back to the Barely Bookish Podcast. Today we are going to be discussing the Odyssey with Jade from About a Book Podcast. Hi! Happy to be back. We've just finished the Iliad. <laughs> I know. I say We say just, but it's also like for the listeners it's been like a week, but for us it's been like a couple of weeks. So yeah. it's fun to dive back in. Having good catch up right back to your, your favorite crossover. Um, What's it called? Barely a beta book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I think that's pretty accurate because we talk about the book, but we also talk about a bunch of other crap as well. So, <laughs> wait, hear me out. About a bookish. Yes. <laughs> What's the crossover name? What's the Bradrelina name of our podcast right now? Barely. Mm. Barely bay books. Barely books. Barely. Barely books. Barely, barely bookish. Hmm. <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll work on it. that later. Yeah, we'll yeah. think about it later. Like any listeners, great, like any great ship name, like the listeners have to pick it. You know. Yeah, there you go. So just you know, ship us. Tell us what our ship name is. Do a poll on your Instagram. <laughs> yeah, we'll make a new Instagram account. Um, it'll just be our crossover episodes. Let us know. <laughs> Remember, like sweet life on deck. Yeah, or yeah, that's so sweet. It- that's so sweet life of Hannah Montana. That was yes. Crazy. There we go. I'm loving it. Amazing. Um, okay, so anyways, if you didn't listen to the Iliad episodes, first off, what are you doing? Second off, welcome to Jade and your podcast. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about your podcast? Yes, so I'm about a book, and on my podcast, I basically do what inspires a book to be made. So kind of talk about, like, maybe the history behind it, or, like, what was going on in the author's life at the time, and I kind of do, like a mini biography of the author depending on how interesting they are then I do kind of like what inspires it maybe the history of what was going on when it was written and then I do how it's like relevant today in pop culture 
and I kind of recommend a few things you might enjoy if you like the book. So that's me. Yes. And it's very, very good. So please check out uh, your podcast. Well, her podcast for the <laughs> listeners. And, you know, all that good stuff. Because you just did Handmaid's Tale, which I say just did. But when the listeners listen to this, that'll be a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. Time is a social construct. Anyways. <laughs> So we are going to be talking about the Emily Wilson translation of the Odyssey, which I have now decided is a superior translation, even though this is the only translation I've ever read. I don't think any everything seems to pale in comparison to this. Definitely. I agree, because like, for school, opinion. I had to read the Homer version, and it was a slog to get through, like the Iliad, all the same criticisms, because if you've listened to the Iliad, you know, we had a lot to say about it. But this mm-hmm. version is a lot better. And it's quite interesting that it's like translated by a woman because remember we were saying like mm-hmm. last time about like how a man must have like translated the Iliad because he just like some bits didn't really translate over to make as much sense. Yeah. So it's interesting reading it yeah. from, I guess, a woman's interpretation. Plus, I feel like there was a lot of bias in mind. First of all, they use Roman gods. Main problem. And then second of all... There was a lot of Catholicism that seemed to have worked its way into the Iliad, which if you just want to hear my roast on the Iliad, please just go listen to the Iliad episodes. I'm not going to get too much into it here because we're talking about the Odyssey. But our, I will our Troy say, episode is great as well when we oh, yeah. cheeked the movie. <laughs> that was really good. Oh, fun. yeah. Please listen to that. That is very good. I did find out that there's a Troy, like Trojan War movie or series on netflix which now we have to watch and i think i'll just never escape the trojan war at this point yeah i mean there's just so much on the trojan war like just the amount of different adaptions and everything they've made you never be able to make your way all the way through it i know i'm like trying to plan out the patreon episodes for this and i'm like how like i'm trying to just do the popular ones but i'm like i could really deep dive into the trojan war like someone could make a whole trojan war podcast for your like Patreon or something, you should rank all of the Trojan War adaptions from like best to worst. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah, I probably could do that. As soon as I get through them all, we'll do that. Um, the first thing I want to talk about with this book is the fact that we finally get a map. Like that was my biggest criticism with the Iliad is I could not figure out how far away Achilles yeah. was from the entire fight. You know what I mean? But now we get a map. And when they have a map in a book, it just gets me really excited for some reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always geek out looking at it. So that was a nice yeah. touch. <laughs> and we don't just get one map. We get multiple maps. Yeah, because there's a lot of traveling in this book. Like mm-hmm. Odysseus goes like all the way around. Yeah, and plus we get a lot of... Uh, in my brain, I've been calling him like Telemachus. Telemachus, yeah. Telemachus, Yeah. He travels around a lot as well, so I'm excited to explore them a little bit. Yeah, actually, today we're doing the first four books, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're called the um, Telemachy, and that's basically like because the first four books are like just focused on him, and it's like his journey. So mm-hmm. I like it. It's kind of like a mini YA book, like in yeah. the Odyssey, because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just all focused on him and his journey. Because at the start he's ten years old, and then by the end of the book he's twenty. So the first four books are kind of like him becoming a man. So it's very like coming of age YA. And I love it. Adorable. Love this. I also, one thing I really want to say before we even get into the book is I like that um, 
Emily Wilson made the choice to keep, I guess it's actually Dr. Emily Wilson. Uh, I looked her up on Twitter. So Dr. (laughs) Emily Wilson um, made the choice to keep with the poetic form because I had always thought the Iliad was like a poetic style. But the way it was written in my translation is they changed it to make it more of a narrative form. Yeah, no, it was like this and the Iliad are like written um, like a poem because remember how we were saying it was originally like just kind of a spoken word. So mm-hmm. they had to kind of make it poetic so that they could remember it. You know, there had to be yeah. some rhythm and some rhyme to it. Um, that's what I'm going to be now, professional bard, <laughs> my new job. Um, Love it. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's way nicer even just reading it in the poetic form. I'm sure mm-hmm. like in the original language, it sounds like even better. But um, yeah, I just like reading it. It's something different, you know? Yeah. And I think it breaks up the rating as well. Because I feel like when we were reading the Iliad, it kind of dragged a bit. Because it wasn't broken up in like the spoken word, which it would have been originally told. And because this is that way, it makes it a lot easier on the eyes and like a lot more fun to read. But I can talk about just the general book forever so we're just gonna actually get into the contents the you know meat of the story so book one the boy and the goddess first off love the chapter titles book titles whatever i already think they're like really enchanting yeah it seems like a proper like epic you know i know it is an Mm -hmm. epic but it sounds it really does sound like a big kind of journey you know like very kind of cinematic that's the word i was looking for yes for sure so our narrator focuses us on an unnamed character who is at the battle of troy we don't really get immediately who that character is um but they say that everyone is able to sail home except one man who is trapped by calypso this man was stuck with Calypso for a year until the gods intervened. So it kind of is just trying to set us into the narrative right away, which I love. Yeah, like. it's kind of giving us like spoilers for what will happen because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, he's stuck on this island. He travels here, he travels there. So it's kind of giving us the whole story at the very start. Yeah. Which is interesting because I guess like back in the day, they wanted to like intrigue people and make them stay for the ride, you know? Yeah. And I think it's also kind of cool too that the book like opens with the narrator like calling on the muses to like help him tell mm-hmm. the story. I think it's very yes. magical, you know. I know. I really think that honestly, I would just I would love for someone to read this to me. Like, I know audiobooks exist, you know, <laughs> but I want to be like sitting around a campfire hearing one of these books every night, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, let me roast s'mores to this, please. I think it'd be really exciting back in the day, like returning to, I mean, I don't know if they have back then, like a tavern or the campfire, like Mm -hmm. every night to hear like the next installments of the story. I think it's just really magical. I want somewhere, like, I want to go to a Ren Fair in costume and hear someone like tell a book of the Odyssey, like this translation specifically, but I want to be like at a campfire dressed in ren fair attire i've never been to a renaissance festival but i feel like this is the perfect vibe you know what i mean yeah so now we are finally told that it is odysseus that is kind of our main character and they make sure to like hammer in that he's friendless and that poseidon hates him oh yes this is a theme throughout the whole odyssey 
Poseidon just hates Odysseus. You'll learn why, like, in the book. But he hates Odysseus, so it make, he makes it his mission to prevent Odysseus from coming home and just doing whatever he can to disrupt his journey. So it's great. It's very entertaining. Yes, I honestly love getting the gods playing an active role in this story again. Like, I know we kind of talked about it in our uh, Troy movie watching, but I missed the gods playing this much of a role. And then in the Song of Achilles, we get a lot of Thetis, but we don't get as much of the gods actively in the story. Yeah. So there's a lot more god action in this and a lot more like gods actually interacting with humans. Mm-hmm. So I feel like in the Iliad, it was mostly like the gods up in the sky talking amongst mm-hmm. themselves and then like kind of like putting actions on the earth. But in this, they're like really communicating with people. And there's actually a lot more female characters in this book too, which I appreciate. Yes, I know. We get a lot more diversity. No, yeah. I don't know. That's, well, is that the word? Is yeah, the word? I guess it would be. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like in the Iliad, I don't know if it's because of the translations that we read or what it was, but I feel like it was more just like bloodshed and less plot. Definitely. Yeah, I think this is this is a better sequel. For yeah, sure. I, I'm loving this a lot more than I like the Iliad already. Yeah. Like, if, it if was you, actually entertaining to read. Yeah, for anybody who's listening that didn't enjoy the Iliad, give the Odyssey a go because it's probably mm-hmm. what you're expecting the Iliad to be like. I did find out that, because um, I saw this on uh, Dr. Emily Wilson's Twitter, that uh, she's actually going to be translating the Iliad, and I might give that another reread. Ooh once that translation comes out and let you all know yeah you definitely definitely should because i'm really impressed with this one so far but yeah so she's done a bunch of translations of i don't know if it's like specifically greek trains like books but she's got more um books as well so if you go to her website if you just search up emily wilson the odyssey you'll see more of the books that uh they've done you're a proper fangirl now. <laughs> I up, am. Looking I'm... up her Twitter, looking up her books, what she's doing next. Well, because I was like, this book was, like, honestly, I was so intrigued by it that I was like, I will read more of her translations because I guess um, she is a teacher, so she kind of wanted to make this more accessible in the classroom, from mm-hmm. my understanding. And so I was like, I am definitely going to be reading more of her translations because, like, this podcast is kind of about me reading these for the first time and so because I don't have anyone teaching me through them yeah that makes sense then it's harder for me to read like these types of classics so the more accessible I can get them the better yeah you should definitely read um who was it Seamus Heaney's Beowulf like translation as well Mm -hmm. that's on my list pretty good yeah yeah I really want that one as well and I'm very excited to hopefully read that at some point But honestly, the more accessible I can get the book, the happier I'm going to be because I, I was dying reading the Iliad and I honestly read this so quickly. I was actually shocked. Yeah, me too. Anyways, back to the story. So all of the gods except Poseidon are at Mount Olympus right now and they're kind of recapping the Trojan War for us. It kind of felt like they... You know when you read like the third book in a series and they're like not super sure if you remember what happened in the first yeah. one so they're like yeah my 
uh, friend who, if you remember, was the <laughs> one who killed the big bad in book one. Yeah, yeah, that guy. That guy. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, he did do that. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Like, I like that this... They catch you up. Yeah. Because yeah. this book is set 10 years after the Trojan War. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long it came out after the after the Iliad, but yeah, they probably needed a recap anyways. Yeah. For sure. But I, I really liked that that was included in this. Um, so apparently after the Iliad, um, Agathus, is how I've been saying it, uh, took Agamemnon's wife, killed Agamemnon, and then Agamemnon's kid uh, grew up and killed Agathus. And I was like, wow. Okay, just throw that out there for us. Like, yeah. awesome. Love that for, you know, Agamemnon's kid. Uh, <laughs> every time I see the name Calypso, all I can think about is Calypso from Pirates of the Caribbean. I always think of the drink Calypso. I don't know if they have those in America, but they're like, they're crazy flavors. Like you can get like a big bright blue one and it's like tropical themed. It probably is named after Calypso, but probably. that's what I just think of. <laughs> or there's also, there's really popular like Irish, uh, I don't know what you call it. We call them like ice pops or like ice lollies. And it's mm. like, it's like orange flavored and it's called a Calypso. And that's how like we were taught in school to remember Calypso because <laughs> it's oh. like a Calypso. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we call them um, popsicles. Ah, okay. But yeah, I, I'm not saying we don't have them. I'm just saying I've never had them, like the yeah. drink or the popsicle. So I'm not sure. Maybe we have them. I just might have never had one. But yeah, my familiarity with Calypso is solely uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. So. I've never seen Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, really? No, yeah, Hold I don't on. know why. <laughs> I'm going to send you a picture of Calypso and Pirates of the Caribbean so you can get my visual. Is she pretty? Tins like a pretty I name. think so. Because Calypso in this, she just, she's wild. She just holds Odysseus as basically, she basically holds him captive for like, I think it's 10 years. Yeah, something like that. Okay, there's Calypso. I think she's just cool looking. I don't think she's like what you would call um like normally pretty, but I think she's cool. Oh, she's cool. Yeah. She looks badass. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> she's from if you've probably seen on TikTok the sound of Jack Sparrow being like, This is a jar of dirt and she's like, If you don't want it, yeah. give it back. That that's Calypso. Ah, okay, okay. But, Anyways, yeah, Calypso in this is is great too. You know, she is she is problematic holding Odysseus against as well as like her boyfriend, but also mm-hmm. he seems okay with it. You know, he- <laughs> yeah. I mean, like from my understanding of Calypso, which I honestly can't even remember where I remember this from. Like I've I've consumed a lot of Greek mythology to the point where I don't really remember the source anymore. But, like, I feel like I remember Atlas as, as a dad being really problematic. Yeah. And so Calypso grew up not really understanding love. Yeah. And so, like, I think my understanding is that she thinks that this is actually how you get a husband, is you just hold them captive. 
That's very insightful because I'm just like, oh yeah, all the all the gods are problematic in their own ways and <laughs> just causing chaos. But that is a, a lot more emotional of an answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, like, I I kind of like to look at like why they make the characters that way. Yeah, you know, like what sense. is the source of it? Because like people aren't just problematic for the fun of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. So I well, sometimes like in books they are just for the drama. Yeah, but... true. <laughs> but um. Yeah, in this, like, she seems to be holding Odysseus captive, but then also it's kind of like a theme throughout the book of, like, oh, no, I'm stuck here. I guess I'll just procrastinate going home, you know, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Um, but, yeah, anyway, continue. <laughs> You're fine. I, I am interested to see, once we get more to Odysseus' point of view, if there's a reason why he's not coming home. Because, I mean, like... He's horny, it's... basically. That's basically... Um, yeah, I mean, because <laughs> I feel like if you really want to get home, there's ways you can do it. You know what I mean? Like you're, I'm not saying that like people trapped on islands. I'm saying in this book specifically, it seems like you can just sacrifice enough lambs and you're gonna get wherever you want to go. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> so, anyways, back to the book. Calypso is a goddess, and she's Atlas's kid. Um, Athena. While they're all having this like lunch of the gods, brings up how she starts to feel really bad for Odysseus because he can't escape. And she's like, he's been there a long time, you know, like he was really good to us in the Trojan War. And now he's just stuck on this island and can't get home. This is like another theme as well. I can't remember if there's like a proper term for it or like what, but basically Athena has extreme favoritism towards Odysseus. I think it might be. I'm not sure if it is properly his mom. I don't know if she's just like a mother figure or if she actually is his mom. I don't think he's a demigod. but um, So I think it's just kind of like a motherly figure. But she like really wants to protect him and she always wants to help him. So you kind of see her getting in all of this like conflict with Poseidon who's trying to prevent him going home. And then Athena who's like trying to get him home. If I had to pick a god to have on my side, I feel like Athena is a really good choice. Yeah, because she is the goddess of wisdom, so she does have mm-hmm. that kind of motherly wisdom. Or else maybe Zeus, since he's just like the Mac Daddy, you know, I would, the boss. Yeah, stuff. I would never want to be on Zeus's bad side. Like, I go on planes a lot. So, <laughs> you know. Like, I could feel like, I feel like I could get away with never being on a boat again. Like, I live in Florida, so, you know, not being around the water would be difficult, but, like, I could never get on a boat again very easily. Yeah, me too. And so, like, if Poseidon was mad at me, I feel like I could live with it, but, like, I go on planes all the time. If I had to drive, like, I think, um, for all the listeners who've read Percy Jackson, I've only read the first series. I've still got, um, I think it's Trials of Apollo... No, Heroes of Olympus are next. I've got Heroes of Olympus I still need to read. And so I'm just thinking about how Percy can't go on an airplane because uh, he's Poseidon's kid. Yeah. So, like, I feel like that would be very difficult for me. I yeah, travel me too. a lot. I agree. I agree. I would definitely choose rather Zeus be on my side. Yeah. But I guess I back then, one. I guess back then, since especially since Odysseus is on islands, it's like absolutely crucial that he gets a vote. So yeah. not good for him. <laughs> yeah, no. For our man Odysseus, uh having 
Poseidon be mad at you is not the best thing that could happen in your life. Planes were not invented yet. <laughs> Fun fact of the day, planes were not invented in ancient Greece. Strange, I know. Everyone's astounded. So apparently what we find out is that Odysseus hurt Poseidon's kid's eye, which is bad because his kid is a cyclops. <laughs> Yeah, and the way he tricks him is just really funny as well. This book is great because it does have like the YA beginning with like mm-hmm. Telemachus's like journey to hear about his dad, and then you have like kind of the comedy between the gods, and you've got like a lot of romance drama, and then a lot mm-hmm. of like bromance. It's great; it has everything. But the him with the Cyclops is like a funny moment in the book for sure. Yes, I know. I love it. So Athena gets a whole plan together. Uh, to get Odysseus home and then immediately is like as soon as she like talks about the plan she runs off to go to see Odysseus's kid so the son has like a bunch of slaves which is problematic and it's you know I mean it's ancient Greece so I'm not surprised but that is brought up a lot in this book to kind of show that like listen they're not the best and I guess just as well that hey like I guess, well, I don't know, dependent they are. Like, he's not really, like, a man yet. So you can't really, like, take care of himself or, like, take care of his mom. So they have, like, all of these slaves yeah. to compensate for that. I also think, like, while we kind of romanticize um, ancient Greece a lot, I think it is important to realize that, that they were still problematic, you know, in their for own sure. ways. Yeah. Um, they also talk about how there's a bunch of suitors hanging out at Telemachus's house. Like, they're trying to get to his mom because his mom is, like, the queen now. Um, and obviously Odysseus isn't around, so they're like, hey, maybe we can uh, get her to, you know, marry one of us. And I'm like, wow. Don't let her mourn her husband at all, I guess. Penelope is a great character because she's really, like, cunning, like her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's also like very loyal to him I feel like I'm sounding very like essay-ish because I'm just remembering everything I learned like in school for the essays but she's very loyal to her husband even though Mm -hmm. the Trojan War ended 10 years ago and he's just like chilling on some island (laughs) but um she doesn't want to go near any of these 10 suitors that are in her house and the suitors have totally taken over the house like they're Mm -hmm. wrecking stuff eating all the food like making themselves way too at home and Penelope is like making this um I guess it's kind of like a shawl or like a blanket and Mm -hmm. the suitors keep trying to propose to her and she's like oh I'll marry one of you once I'm finished making this um shawl and then Mm -hmm. at nighttime she just unravels it all so that she never actually has to marry any of them so Mm -hmm. she's very wise (laughs) I know I love Penelope so much she's great and I think it's like a very different um viewpoint too from the Iliad like in the Iliad it seems like their wives were more just the property and I don't know if that's like a translation bias or what but it was very much you know this is just my person like she's got no say in anything and then this it looks like you know she has an ex- she still has an accept uh she still has to accept a suitor at the end of the day like while she doesn't really have 
much of a choice. She, like she can't be a single woman and these men are still harassing her. She still has to, she still gets the option to pick one, you know what yeah. I mean? Whereas it felt like more um, in the Iliad that the women were just property and they didn't get a choice in anything. So I like this idea more. Yeah. Whereas this, she seems to have like more personality and she kind of like stands mm-hmm. up for herself being like, Oh yeah, I will. I will. And then she kind of has this little secret. So she's a, like a very developed character, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I I do like that she has more speaking lines as well. Yeah, for sure. So Odysseus's kid cannot get these men to leave the house. And he's starting to think that his father must be dead. And, you know, he's really distraught about this. So then Athena shows up, makes up a whole story about who she is and how she knows the father, uh, Odysseus. And it's strange because when Odysseus left for the war, like Telemachus mm-hmm. is only a baby, but now he's like 10 years old. So it's yeah. like what we were saying in the Iliad, like once a father goes off to war, they're just like never coming home as their family. Like their family is going to be completely different if they ever return. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then, yeah, Athena feels like a sense of duty to kind of like take care of Telemachus since like she loves her his dad so much. So mm-hmm. then she comes down. I can't remember what the word is, but it's when, you know, the gods come down in the shape of a, of a person and she kind of comes down looking like one of Odysseus's old friends and like convinces her son that she knows him that way. And she kind of tells him that his mission is to go off to these two different kings and find out what happened to his dad. Mm-hmm. My favorite thing, though, is that Athena cannot keep this up like her form at all so she constantly like reveals herself she's like nobody's gonna know yeah How would they know and then she like turns into a bird and runs away she's like okay bye yeah. I'm like, Athena everybody knows <laughs> and I just love that like Telemachus was like oh my gosh I was visited by a god how cool and then like <laughs> Athena's like yeah they'll never know it's fine they'll yeah no no I'm your dad's friend I swear <laughs> yeah I swear like, don't ask how I know all this important details. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> I love that so much. And then it sounds like, you know, Penelope does not want to marry, uh, remarry at all. And she's still really mourning Odysseus. Because at this point, you know, where we are in the story, it's been about four years that these suitors have been trying to uh, marry her. And mm-hmm. she's like, I'm not gonna deal with this. Uh so then Telemachus tells the suitors they need to get out. And one of them tries to like curse him and says that Zeus is going to like smite him. And he's like, this is literally my house. You are throwing my fortune away. My inheritance is gone. You're eating all of our animals and you're drinking all of our wine. Please leave. Yeah, this is like, I, this is like the first sign we see that he's like becoming a man because he's like finally mm-hmm. actually like sticking up for his mom and like defending his household like being kind of like the man of the house mm-hmm. yeah so he does try you know it's not very successful but he does try so that's to be applauded <laughs> i just feel bad that like penelope has this infant child she's had to raise on her own while her husband's at war and then like she finally raises a kid you know, the war's ending. She's like, awesome. My husband's going to come home. I'm finally going to see him again. And now she's got like suitors at her door that she can't get rid of. Her family's falling apart. She doesn't know if her husband's alive or dead or where he is. And she's just having to go through all of this while like not being able to defend herself. 
I like wonder about being like in the army back then. If they win the war or if they go off and they fight for ten years, do they get like paid or like they they just get paid in honor or do they get like a good sum of money that they can bring home to their family? Like when Odysseus comes back, spoiler, <laughs> is his family going to have money or just be bad off after all this time? Well, you're supposed to like get spoils of war, you know, and like we saw with Achilles, he was getting like a little bit of riches and we kind of see this with Menelaus. what i feel like with odysseus you know he lost his all of his ships that had all of his trophy and all of his men and everything like so he was supposed to come home with riches if my husband I, left for war and then came back 10 years later and he didn't even have any money he didn't even have what he went out to guess. I'd be like, are yeah. you kidding? Are you kidding? I raised your son all on my own. I've been loyal to you for 10 years. Mm-hmm. You're back and I've just... Now I've got to take care of you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he's also the king of his area. So I'm assuming like his people pay taxes or something. Oh, very true. I didn't think about that. Yeah. 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 So like everybody that's going that we are listening to are kings of some sort. You know what I mean? Mm. So they... I feel like they don't really need the spoils of war. <laughs> or you can be like, hey, friends, give me some money, please. Thank you. <laughs> so then we're on to book two, A Dangerous Journey. Telemachus calls the council of Ithaca into session. Um, he says that the suitors are driving him to poverty and they should be ashamed of themselves. And then, you know, one of the suitors steps up and like victim blames himself. <laughs> and he's like, or victim blames, and it's like, well, Penelope said that she would marry someone when she was done weaving, but we found out she's unweaving her progress every night. She just needs to pick somebody. And you're making us out to seem like the bad guys. And I'm like, because you are. <laughs> what? So Zeus backs up Telemachus by sending eagles as a sign and like scratches all the suitors on the face and the suitors are like um you know that wasn't very clear anyways (laughs) so the suitors will not leave because they are absolute trash bags and then athena comes again and it's like listen all these suitors they're gonna die don't even worry about it like we love the lack of like uh subtlety of athena yeah, or in this book in general, like if you're reading this book or if you're hearing it back in the old times or whatever, like you're mm-hmm. getting all of the spoilers up front. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes when I listen to, um, like not when I listen, but when I read this, I'm thinking about like Athena as being like the juicy gossip. You yeah, know? I feel so, like she definitely has like, a big mouth. Like she can't keep anything quiet. I know, but I'm imagining it being like, listen. I you didn't hear this from me but I heard that like they're just all gonna die don't even worry about it like I'm not gonna tell you who it's gonna be Zeus not gonna tell you who (laughs) that's how I'm imagining her telling Telemachus all these things yeah for sure (laughs) she's great like I feel like she just has such a clear personality Mm -hmm. I know I love Athena so Telemachus and Athena come up with this whole plan and Telemachus ends up sneaking out at night after Athena puts all of the suitors to sleep and then boards the ship to go search for his father. 
How is he even going to know what his father looks like if he's, like, never seen him? <laughs> I know, at this point. if you think about it, they didn't even have, like, photos or anything back mm-hmm. then. I guess everyone will know who his father is since he is, like, a king. But it's just funny. Yeah. I also think it's interesting because, you know, there's a lot of talk where Telemachus isn't even sure that this is his real father. Yeah. You know? And I think that's kind of interesting because we aren't led to believe that Penelope, like, cheated on Odysseus at all but because Telemachus has never seen his father there's still this like wave of doubt where he's like unsure whether this is actually his father or not and I think that's kind of interesting to me yeah yeah I agree like the book definitely has like that emotional element to it like in that very kind of like YA-esque kind of you know he does seem kind of like a a regular teenager you know in that Mm -hmm. sense like there's loads of YA books where people um, you know, go off in search of their parents and that type of thing. The Odyssey, a coming of age story. Yeah. <laughs> so then we're on to book three, An Old King Remembers. So Telemachus arrives in uh, Pylos. Yeah. And goes to Nestor and he's like, hey, have you heard of Odysseus? <laughs> Which I love. And another thing is Athena is just straight up hanging out on this trip. Like, she is pretending to be somebody else and is just sailing with them. It's like, yeah, you know, casual, as you do. <laughs> uh, Telemachus asks if Nestor saw Odysseus die, and he's like, please do not hide the truth from me. Like, I need to know. And so um, Nestor just recounts the whole story of Troy. Uh, we find out that Achilles died in this moment and kind of lists off a lot of the people who he did see die. And then he starts telling the story about wrapping up to leave for Troy. And he's like, there was a lot of infighting about whether or not we need to make sacrifices or if we should head back home after the battle of Troy. And they ended up leaving Agamemnon there because Agamemnon didn't want to go home yet. And Nestor's like, listen, I'm ready to go. Like, I don't want to hang out here anymore. I want to see my family. So there was a lot of infighting, um, and they said that like the gods basically cursed their trip back home. Which the amount of times that Nestor's like, yeah, the gods cursed this, blah blah blah. Like Athena's against us, and Athena's just standing right there. I'm like, <laughs> you're gonna get smited, you know. I feel like back then it'd be so easy to blame like stuff on the gods. I think mm-hmm. there's like a line in that. I think I actually highlighted it, but um. Back in the day, you could just, like, blame all of your bad luck or all of your, like, sorrow on the gods. Let me mm-hmm. find the quote that I underlined because, um, oh, yeah, it says, This is absurd that mortals blame the gods. They say we cause their suffering, but they themselves increase it by folly. So I feel like, yes. it, you know, I think that was a really good quote. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, they just blame, blame everything on the gods, you know. I feel like if this was like nowadays you get invited to a party and you're like you know you don't want to go you're like oh sorry guys i'm cursed you know i can't go yeah <laughs> i think it's yeah it's definitely very interesting but it's also the like amount of casualty they talk not casualty like how casual they talk about the gods in this kind of shocks me because like in modern day religions we don't talk about our deities this way you know? Yeah, like I mean, some like very radical people do, but you wouldn't just be like, "Oh yeah, God just told me that like this is happening or whatever." Yeah. Or like, oh, "God told me that you're gonna get really, you're gonna get bad luck next week." You know what I mean? But that's yeah. they talk about the gods so casually in this. 
Or if they're like, yeah, Jesus decided to just, you know, come down and ruin my life. Like, if we talk that way, like, you know, a lot of people who follow, like, Catholicism or Christianity would probably feel like they're going to get smited. Yeah, it's really interesting because, like, they're very critical of the gods back then. Or, you know, they can be angry at the gods. But, like, now if you're saying, like oh, Jesus is ruining my life. Oh, like God's mad at me or something. You know, Mm -hmm. people would be like, oh no, God's perfect. Like he would never be mad at you and all this type of stuff. Plus it's like, you would be uh, probably yelled at for talking negatively. Yeah. I I think it's... I feel like, you know, I prefer their way of stuff. I just think it's more... um, Clauses. More like entertaining. And also, I guess, like more kind of realistic that like the gods would be interacting so much with you on like mm-hmm. a personal level yeah plus i like the idea that you can be critical of something and still worship it exactly that is a really good yeah. point like literature you can be critical of it and still enjoy it and i, I like that idea more bring back the greek gods yeah <laughs> i'm gonna start a church for the <laughs> greek gods that's called paganism my friend <laughs> Oh, so telemachus says that he's not sure the gods will save odysseus because you know He's like, you know, he's going through a lot and I'm not sure that the gods will, even if they're he's still in their favor, that they'll be able to intervene. And Athena's just like, bro, what? <laughs> like, I like that, you know, because the gods are such an active player in this, that there's a lot more interaction between everybody. Yeah. That sense. Yeah. I agree. I just like that Telemachus literally knows he was visited by Athena and he's not watching what he says anymore. And I think that's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's so normal. It's just like mm-hmm. a relative is with him rather than like an actual god of the universe. Yep. Like he could literally, Athena on a whim could ruin his life. And he's he has like, no fear. Yeah. No fear. He's like, whatever. Like it just really um, kind of shows his like lack of awareness of the world in a way. Like his, uh, like how naive he is, you know what I mean? So apparently Agamemnon's wife was left at home and at first she had a few, uh, refused uh, Agathus's advanced advances, but after time she went to him willingly. Like, I get it. Your husband's been gone for like 10 years at this point. You know, most people, if your husband's been gone that long and you have no way to communicate with him at all they're basically dead like yeah you're basically divorced you know at that point she should be allowed to choose whether she wants to continue that marriage or not because it's that's a long time a lot has happened in you know 10 years Mm -hmm. where once they get back they don't really know you anymore exactly yeah like you basically have to get remarried at that point because you have to relearn each other Mm-hmm. so I really don't blame Agamemnon's wife at this point you know it's it, that's a really hard test for her to decide if she still wants to be with him after you know not hearing and not seeing from her husband in 10 years like that's lonely yeah she just has to trust that like he will come home and that he wants to come home mm-hmm. you know because yeah. for all like she knows he could be like off with a different wife or something mm-hmm which he kind of did. <laughs> yeah. So it's fair. And I can't blame her when someone's trying to show her attention and she hasn't been receiving any. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it. 
you know, that we kind of just get caught up a little bit about that whole situation. And then Nestor's like, listen, go talk to Menelaus because he was the last return. And if anybody knows anything about your dad, he would know. So Nestor sends him over or Nestor has him sleep uh, there with him that night. And then in the morning sends him over. So then, you know, Athena absolutely blows her cover again, leaves in the shape of a bird. Like, I don't know how she doesn't think anybody would notice. And then after that, they all make sacrifices to Athena because she's like, they're like, oh, she's like blessing this trip. That's so nice of her. Here's some sacrifices for you. Yeah, I wonder like with the sacrifices, like all just like, oh yeah, cool. Or like, you know what I mean? Like, does it do anything for them or is it just like a nice gesture? Like getting like a card or something. I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I feel like it has to serve some sort of purpose. Like there's been a lot of different ideas about like in literature, why there's sacrifices or why there's people that need to follow religions. And I think I kind of lean towards the idea where the only way they can remain in power is if people believe in them. So, mm-hmm. like, this is shown as, like, an act of worship, which fuels them having power. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, so. I like that idea, because otherwise I feel like you're wasting things. And I don't like the idea of waste. Yeah, because that's what I was thinking. Like, say, mm-hmm. you know, if they, like, slaughter a lamb or something, it's like, is that, like, lamb meat gonna go to, like, waste? Or do they, like, eat it? Or, like, you know, all type of stuff. Or if it, well, or they is like, it just a gesture. They burn specific parts to like as a sacrifice to the gods and then i think they get to eat the rest of it but i i want to think that that's what fuels them and like it gives them a little bit of a power up so that then they can help um telemachus otherwise like i don't want to believe that it just wasted like that it serves no real purpose because then it the gods wouldn't be so spiteful when they don't get sacrifices in my yeah He's like, if that's the source of your power, you're going to want people to definitely make those. So, like, punishing people who don't does actually serve a purpose. Mm-hmm. True. So, I mean, obviously, I have no idea how the world works or anything like that. And it's just, like, what I want to no, believe. That makes sense. That makes sense. So then we're on to book four, What the Sea God Said. Uh, Nestor's kid and Telemachus show up to a wedding party. Which I love. I love the idea that they're just wedding crashers. And they're like, hey, can we talk to you? And then he's like, my kid literally just got married. He's like, <laughs> this is important. So Menelaus talks about how he was trapped at sea for eight years. So not only was he the Trojan War going on for like 10 years, he then got trapped at sea for an additional eight. Nightmare fuel. Honestly, yeah. he got trapped at sea for eight years. Yeah. When it didn't take them that long to sail over. Yeah. We also find out that Helen is back with Menelaus, which, you know, is the entire reason for the Trojan War. (laughs) Back to square one, back where it started. Yeah. Yeah. So she talks about this in a second. Um, But first I want to mention that she literally drugs everyone in this little tiny party so that they won't cry when they talk about Odysseus. I was like, okay, Helen. (laughs) For what? Literally for what? 
She doesn't want tears. She doesn't want tears at the wedding, you know? I know, but like, what does she give them? Because it doesn't really specify. And she's just like, yeah, she learned from, I think it was the Egyptians or the Spartans. I don't remember who it was, but she's like, yeah, she learned how to do all this medicine because of all their great doctors. And then, like, some of these will poison you, but like, other drugs (laughs) will just make you feel happy. And I'm like, what did she give them? Like, cocaine? (laughs) I don't I mean, weed? She's like, here grow this you know plant and you smoke it and uh (laughs) you'll be happy you won't cry anymore (laughs) so helen then talks about how aphrodite made her go crazy leave her daughter and her husband and that odysseus was the one who came dressed as a beggar to sneak her out of troy and i also kind of like the idea that not only do they like blame gods when everything goes wrong but like helen totally wanted to leave her husband and then like obviously the war broke out and that didn't work out in her favor and then she's like oh aphrodite made me do it you know it's <laughs> totally not my fault please don't be mad at me husband but like she's like loki kind of trapped in what seems to be a toxic marriage and she's like protecting herself by being like oh yeah the goddess made me do it like i mean i'm not gonna say anything to many elenas that that's probably not true <laughs> but i mean we all can think it so then we finally get the mention of the Trojan horse, and I was Ooh. very happy to see it. I was like, yes, let's go. Talk about the Trojan horse, please. So it was all like Odysseus' idea, basically, the Trojan mm-hmm. horse. He's the mastermind behind it. Yeah, it seems like Odysseus was really the backbone of the Trojan War. Yeah, kind of like the mortal Achilles. Mm-hmm. Like, while Achilles was the brawn, he was definitely the brain. Yeah. Like, yin-yang, right? This is a dumb question, but they are on the same side of the war, right? We're yes. the opposite sides, okay. No, they're both... Well, like, Achilles was... Like, Odysseus was all there the entire time, whereas, basically, they had to, like, rope Achilles to come back. Yeah. Because Odysseus was on the side of Agamemnon. Menelaus tells... Uh, Man, every time I go to do these names, I'm really messing them up. Menelaus tells uh, Telemachus how he was trapped on an island while trying to return home and tells a story about how a goddess came up to him and told Menelaus that he needed to trap an old god to find out which god was mad at him. And I like the idea that, like... There's like a rank system to the gods. So she's like, hey, you gotta, you know, trap a little bit of a higher level god to figure out which one's angry at you. Because I'm not sure, but like, I can tell you how to find out. Like, that's just very fun for me. <laughs> so, Money Lady's is like, all right, solid, I'll do this. Traps the old god and is like, hey, who's angry at me? And the god's like, listen. Zeus is kind of mad because you didn't slaughter a hundred cows for him. So what you got to do is you have to go sail all the way back to Egypt, slaughter a hundred cows for Zeus, earn his favor, and then you can go home. And he's like, listen, I already passed Egypt. And it's like, it reminds me of like when you're going to try and get gas and, or you're trying to like go to a bathroom on a like road trip. Mm -hmm. And you're like, do I, can you all wait the 20 miles to get to the next bathroom or do I need to go back, <laughs> turn around and drive 10 minutes up the road to go to that bathroom and everyone's like, 
we're not going to make it in <laughs> like you have to get off at this exit and find a bathroom here and like that's what I'm imagining right now is something yeah. like and I, we already passed it and it's like I I don't make the rules buddy like you have to stop now so road tripping father is what I'm getting yes vibes that is from a really right a good comparison <laughs> oh we find out that Agamemnon was killed over dinner like he comes home some guy was like paid to tell uh agathas when uh agamemnon lands and then agamemnon's like oh you know this is great everyone's here you know and agathas like throws like a dinner party for him he's like oh welcome home and then slaughters him at the dinner party like it felt very red wedding in game of thrones i was like okay brutal was trying to eat my dinner Yeah, literally. I was like, that's messed up. You know, Agamemnon spends all this time at war and doesn't even get to find out his wife left him. Instead, just gets straight up murdered. Brutal. So then we flash over to seeing the suitors again. And we find out that the suitors um, just found out that uh, Telemachus has left. And then they're like, okay, you know what? Great idea. Great idea. What if we just kill him? And, you know, that's what they're like. Yeah, we're all going to kill him. Um, and Penelope finds out that, that this is our plan, freaks out. It's like bawling her eyes out because she can't do anything. You know, there's like all these suitors in her house. Now they're going to try and kill her kid. She still thinks her husband's probably alive. So Athena comes and like tries to calm down Penelope. And she's like, listen, this is all going to work out. Don't even worry about it. They are damn bad. Like they're, so, like, they're damn bad. They're literally willing to mm-hmm. murder yeah yeah they're the worst people ever like i can't wait for them all to just get smited at this point so then the suitors are hiding in wait on like a rocky cliff to kill telemachus when he sails through and i'm just like oh jeez like i want you know ghost ship to come through and (laughs) murder all these people before telemachus even gets there straight up messed up so that's all we have for this episode i am shaken i am loving this translation so much i feel like that went by so quickly as well Mm -hmm. i'm just i'm loving it yes i can't wait to read more of it it's ending on a good cliffhanger too Mm -hmm. i know they literally the visual of like all of them lying in wait and then i was like accidentally was like okay that's all we got for this reading and now i'm like oh i want to read more i'm sure the listeners want to know more if you haven't read this book yet because now we've done like we've done the first book now because i said the first books the first four books are just based on telemachus Mm -hmm. so now in the next few books we're gonna get more of the odysseus action and what he's been up to so stay tuned for that yeah you know a little teaser a little you know insight of what we're going to talk about next and i'm leaving you all on a cliffhanger but yeah i'm excited to read more of this um i think this translation is really really good if you guys want to grab it for yourself you can head over to barelybuckish.com um there is going to be an affiliate link if you want to help support the show and all that fun stuff Uh, put it in the description yeah and it'll be in the description for sure but um thank you guys so much for listening and We'll catch you in the next episode. And thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I love it. Like doing the last club was so fun. So I'm really excited to see this book because as we're saying, this book is a lot more eventful. So Mm -hmm. it should be great. Yeah. But we'll catch you guys in the next one. Bye. Bye.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Barely Bookish Podcast. If you want to listen to our monthly exclusive episodes over on Patreon, this month we will be talking about The Song of Achilles with Jen from Best Book Club Podcast. And that's kind of all we've got really going on right now. If you want to find me, I am at Barely Bookish on literally everything. Uh, we also have merch, so please check that out. We have a lot of cute things on there. But yeah, that's kind of all I've got for you guys. So our logo is designed by my little sibling, Sarah. Our theme song is by Raphael Crux on freepd.com. And I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Bye!